Um, well, have you ever sat down to watch a movie with your family and maybe you run across a movie that, that you haven't seen in a few years and you think, hmm, I remember watching that movie. That, that, was, that was a great movie. I think we should watch this one. And so you pick the movie and you start watching it again with the family in the room only to find out that this isn't exactly the same movie as I remember. There's things in this movie that I don't remember. Have you ever been in that situation before? I can relate to that on multiple occasions. Um, now, has that ever happened to you in the Bible? Maybe, maybe a similar situation. Maybe you're hanging out with the family and you think, hey, well, let's read the Bible together. And you start flipping through the pages and you come across some Bible story that you're, maybe you learned about in Sunday school as a kid. And, and you think, yeah, that would be a good one to read. So you just start reading the story to your kids. <laughs> And you run across parts of the story that's like, where did that come from? I don't remember that part of the story. I mean, has that ever happened to you? Um, or maybe you're just reading through the Bible by yourself for the first time. What in the world is this? Um, I never, I know, I don't remember when they talk about this story, they don't talk about this part of the story, right? There are so many great stories in the Bible that even, even if you didn't grow up in the church, you at least have some familiarity with some of these big stories in the Bible, right? And, and perhaps because of our rosy exposure to the stories, because we learned them when we were young, and maybe we're a little edited or abbreviated or whatever might have been, um, but maybe you might have missed what was really happening in the story. So with that in mind, today we're actually going to start a, a series called Retold, Sunday School Stories You Thought You Knew. I really like that concept, it's a, it's a fun idea. Um, just taking a closer look at the Sunday school stories that we're familiar with, maybe from teaching them or having them taught to us as kids. Um, and then taking a really a closer examination of these stories and, and, and maybe you'll notice that they may be a little different than, than what you anticipated. Um, but still, these stories are very important to us as far as the building of our faith. Um, and we'll see as we look at these stories that, that they fit into God's overall story in the Bible and they inform our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, actually. The good news that comes become because of Jesus. Um, but just a little disclaimer as we start. Um, as I dug into this, <laughs> it was way... Uh, more difficult than I anticipated. There's just so much information in, about some of these stories. And these stories, when you tell them to kids, they're usually very abbreviated, right? But some of these stories are three chapters long in scripture. They're long stories sometimes. And they bring up so many questions to mind. And so I would just encourage you as we dive into this to, to, to read the stories. Um, when, you, when you're going through the week, read the stories. Go back and read the story we're going to look at this morning and, and maybe take some friends along with you. There's a lot to digest in some of these stories. And it's really no wonder that, that we share abbreviated versions of the stories to our kids. Each of these stories really could be a sermon series in and of itself. Um, and maybe we'll get to that someday. But, but this time through, allow me to just kind of hit on some of the major themes that you see in each of these stories. First story we're gonna look at this morning is Noah's Ark. 
That's a beloved tale, right? What's not to like about Noah's Ark? We, we decorate our kids' rooms in a Noah's Ark theme, right? We might even decorate a room in the church with a Noah's Ark theme. Maybe as a kid you had a Noah's Ark, <laughs> complete with a roof that you could take off and the animal figurines so you could reenact the story. Um, I mean, you have animals, you have rainbows. What is not to like, right? Especially the way it was told to us as kids. I, the basic story the kids get when they are told this story, I actually found this version in a book called The Bedtime Bible Stories book. Um, I'm going to walk through this story with you. It says, God told Noah to build an ark to save his family from the flood. And then Noah built the ark, just as God said. Then God sent animals to Noah. And after Noah loaded his family and the animals on board, the rain came. Noah and his family worked hard on the ark to take care of the animals. <laughs> and then after a long, busy day, Noah went to sleep too. Not a great story. Great bedtime story, right? And, you know, God saving Noah and the animals from a flood. That is the basics of the story, right? That's all we really need to know about the story? Probably not, right? Now, to be fair, this is a little simpler story than, than the simple story that kids usually get. There's usually a few more details thrown in there. So if you know the story of Noah and the ark, and don't share them out loud, but just think about the story. What parts did I not include as I read that story that probably should be in there as people share the story? Think about that. Well, the first thing I would point out is that it's really hard to just pluck a story out of the Bible, right? Not seeing that they're connected to stories around them. You really have to consider the context of the story within the Bible itself. We talk about context a lot. And we find the story of Noah in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis being the first book of the Bible, right? And 6 is well, right up there towards the beginning, right? So the sixth chapter of the first book of the Bible. This is really early in the story of God and humanity, right? So let's just kind of summarize quickly the story so far that's been covered that we didn't cover in Genesis chapter 6. Going back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see the creation story. Um, we know that story well, right? God um, carefully and meticulously put together the earth and all of his contents. And, and we see these moments where God stands back at the end of each day and, and he looks at creation and, and what does he see? He sees that it was good, Right? He really enjoyed his creation. And then, it was, then he made humans. And what did he see about them in the creation story? They were really good, right? God was really, really pleased with what he built there with human beings. That says a lot about us, right? It says, said a lot. It's an important part of the story to remember. That God didn't make junk, as the video that we watched earlier, right? He made some pretty spectacular things in us, right? In human beings. 
And the description of the relationship in Genesis, um, the first part of Genesis, between humans and God, it's just amazing. They're hanging out with God in the cool of the evening. Wouldn't that just be the coolest thing to be able to hang out with God in the cool of the evening? In fact, throughout the Bible, we see that when people actually live at peace with God, what do they call it? It's called, they call it walking with the Lord, right? Walking with God. Walking together is a very relational experience. When we say to each other, let's go for a walk. I mean, that's a time of exercise, but it's a time of really sharing life together, right? And that's what's happening um, in, the, in the garden. They're sharing life together with God. When we, when we walk with the Lord, that's a good place, isn't it? Hanging out with him, listening to him, sharing your life with him, sharing your your needs and listening to his amazing stories and being thankful to him. I mean, all the things that go on in that relationship, how important it is. But unfortunately, as we work through the stories in the first part of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3 happens. <laughs> Comes a point in the story in the Bible when humans, man and the woman, right? I'm blaming them both, so I'm okay with that. Um, they choose to not walk with God, right? They choose to go their own way. What we call sin enters the world. It's a big part of the story as we're moving towards Genesis chapter 6. And what happens when sin enters the world? Well, bad things start happening. And it's not only to human beings. It affects all of creation, right? It affects the whole earth. It becomes more difficult to grow things. We have thorns and thistles that are mentioned there, right? Weeds. And I'm really sure that mosquitoes are probably in there somewhere, right, in the fall. I mean, why would you have bloodsuckers flying around and, you know, not mentioned in Scripture, but I'm sure they're there, right? And then we have murder, where a brother kills a brother in the story, all because of the sin problem. That wasn't God's plan for his creation, right? That wasn't, wasn't part of the plan at all. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, God's looking down at his creation and he's not seeing good and very good. Isn't. You know what he's seeing? Bad and very bad, right? In fact, the operative word that we see in the NIV translation of the story is this word corrupt. Corrupt. I mean, I can think of corrupt making sense to us if we're talking about a computer file, corrupted, right? It's useless, or, or maybe a corrupt government, you know? Pretty useless, too. But I think a better word for us to use here, and it's used in other translations, is, is the word ruined. Creation of God was ruined. Genesis 6, verse 11, it says, Now the earth was corrupt, or, or ruined, in God's sight. And it was full of violence. God saw how corrupt, how ruined the earth had become, for all the people on earth had ruined their ways. Truth is, they weren't following God's ways at all, right? They were going their own way, and they were ruining their lives through that process, right? In fact, if you look a few verses earlier, even more troubling, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. 
Verse 6, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled. God was sick about it, right? He was sick about it. And then verse 7, so the Lord said, I will wipe, or actually literally the word is wash. I will wash from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. This isn't such a good bedtime story at this point, right? This idea of wash actually comes from the world of scribes. Back then, they were actually using material that, that literally, as they were riding along, if they, need, they needed to make a correction, they could just take a wet um, rag of some type, a damp cloth, and they could just cleanse the spot out of the, the document, the smudges, just by rubbing on it with some water. As harsh as it sounds, the rebellion that started in the garden had worsened to the point that humans would not change direction on their own. They'd completely lost all sensitivity to the leading of God. If they were ever going to make it back to where they were and actually fulfill the things that God had in mind when he created them, they needed some help. Evil had so taken over the core of human existence that it permeated all human thought and action. They're ruined. Ruined. And God is sick about it. I mean, he's just sick about it. I mean, I think this is an important thing to remember. Very important part of the story is that God feels sorrows as well as joys. And grief and sorrow and pain and agony, God pronounced this decision to end the world, to finish off the ruining and corruption that the, that the human race had started, right? And you remember that God actually brought them into existence into, with this great joy. These guys are great, very good, right? He was excited about it. He was anticipating how amazing it was going to be. And here he is. <laughs> Sick about it. Such a sad, dark tale. Again, probably not one that I would share with my kids, you know, right before bedtime, right? And yet there's this short, very quiet, unexpected statement in verse 8. You see it there? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But as for Noah, he found favor. What's the other word that we would use in that place? The grace of God, right? Here in the darkest moment of human history so far, that's where the story's at, right? Humanity has completely gone its own way, ruining all of creation. I mean, do you think we have the capability as humans to ruin creation? Have you ever experienced a world that was ruined by wickedness, ruined by violence? ran into a few people who moved here because of that, right? There's possibilities of that. We do a really good job of that. This, this is one of those moments, and it's even a bigger moment than that. This is the moment that God is even planning a complete restart, a recreation of sorts, this massively dark moment in human history. 
But even in this moment, what is our God even thinking about? Where is he looking? He's already looking towards the future, right? He hadn't given up on us. He hadn't become this angry, ticked-off God that wanted to destroy all of creation. That's not the story going on here. God is not finished with his creation. He does what he does to try to help help this hostile situation. God's not finished. And what we see in Noah is this this sign of this, this hope for new humanity, a new creation. God has a plan, a new beginning, a new hope. In the middle of this great story of judgment comes hope, comes the grace of God. Noah found hope. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Can we find hope? In God, even when we're in our darkest places? I don't know if you've looked around the world lately. <laughs> Can we find grace even in the difficult places we see our world going? And now the truth is that Noah did have a few things going for him, right? If you read verse 9, a little bit of a description of him. This is the account of Noah and his family Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. We see three things there, right? First off, he was righteous. Now, you got to remember, this was all before. This is so far early in the story. There's no Abraham. There's no Moses. There's no Ten Commandments. And it's interesting that you would see the statement about Noah <laughs> that he was righteous. How did you measure righteousness, right? Apparently, he had at least a pursuit of rightness, right? And I'd also suppose that when you think about rightness, you'd probably compare yourself to some of those who are already being described in the story, right? Those people in the story who were living towards evil and violence, they were, they were focusing their whole being on walking away from God right? But Noah's doing the exact opposite. He's actually walking towards God. He wants to walk with the Lord, right? And we see that in his, the, third and, the second and third descriptions of him. He was blameless among the people, and he walked faithfully with God. So his desire was to follow God's ways, and you know what? When we try to follow God's ways, it impacts how we interact with other people, Right? And that's where, where we see this blameless among the people. He, he lived with integrity in a world that really didn't value integrity, right? How hard would it be to live a life of integrity when no one else was willing to live that way? But at some point, wouldn't we say, well, if they're going to do that, we're going to do that, right? But that's the integrity of Noah. <laughs> he decided to faithfully walk with the Lord in spite of what was going on around him. That's a really good story for us today, isn't it? Really important story for us. And so when the time of judgment came, God delivered the one who wanted to continue to walk with God by providing a way, didn't he? Providing an ark. And for those who didn't want him in their lives, 
he honored that desire as well, right? And isn't that what's happening? I mean, you remember Genesis 1? Who pushed back the water so there was actually land? God did. So if you have a group of people who didn't want God in their life, well, what if God removes his word? <laughs> what if God removes his command and actually allows them to live a life without God, without God directing? The chaos, right? That's what they were wanting. He removed order and he allowed chaos to reign. So what happens? <laughs> the water came. We could almost say that it really wasn't judgment at all, but but only the natural consequence of going against the grain of the world as God created it to function. They were not living according to what God had in mind, right? Yet even before he knew about the flood, I mean, think about this. The flood was not something that caused Noah to be good, right? Even before the flood, he was living into what God had for him, right? He already had experienced that God was good. He'd already experienced that God's way was worth following, right? And so by the grace of God, Noah continued in that opportunity to walk with the Lord, right? Thanks to the ark. And again, are we tempted in an age of self-focus and doing our own thing, whether that person wants me to or God wants me to, or I mean, whether it's gonna somehow damage creation or damage other people or damage ourselves, that's where we're at, right, in the world? Does it ever make, make sense to us, maybe tempt us to walk away from God's ways? In the words of the story of Noah, don't ruin your life. Don't ruin your life. God has so much more for you if you will just trust him. Honestly, was it worth it to find favor in the eyes of the Lord for Noah? It saved him, didn't it? It saved his whole family. And you'll notice in the story that God commands Noah to build an ark, not a boat. Right? An ark and not a boat. Why do I make that point? There's a difference between an ark and a boat. In fact, the, the next time that that same Hebrew word be, would be used, ark, <laughs> it's describing the basket that the baby Moses was placed in by his mother, saving him from the catastrophe that was about to happen, right? <laughs> you think there's a connection there? Moses' mom trusting the Lord with her baby, putting him in an ark. <laughs> Think about it. What's the difference between a boat and an ark? I mean, we don't know a lot about arks, right? Because we haven't seen too many of them around. <laughs> I think they have one built somewhere. Um, but as you read through the description of the ark, I want to just point out to you that there's no mention of a keel or a rudder or oars sails. Typically, doesn't a boat have to be steered? <laughs> doesn't something have to propel the boat, right? 
But this vessel, this ark, had nothing aboard that would allow the humans to propel, propel the boat or to steer it. Yes, Noah would build this ark, but the ark was completely dependent on God to steer it, to preserve it. And that really is the difference, right? Isn't that the difference? I mean, are we pushing to steer our lives? Are we pushing to try to preserve ourselves? Or do we actually allow God to steer us? Do we go to him for wisdom, direction, strength? There's just so much in the story that I could share with you, but I really don't want to take all of your day. I was talking to somebody, and I said, yeah, just go for it. I don't want to go for it. So if you have questions that you run across in the story, talk to me. But I'm going to skip to the end. Noah obeys. He builds an ark, right? That's the story. God sends the animals. It is God that sends the animals, right? Puts them in the ark, and God shuts the door. No one else could shut the door. God. There's a lot of things we could talk about there, right? And then this flood comes. And praise be to God, the flood recedes. Genesis chapter 8, it says, Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. Doesn't that sound familiar? It's part of the creation story, right? Starting over. <laughs> so Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land, came out of the ark one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds. He sacrificed burnt offerings on it. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I've done. Now, did that just say that, you know, sin was removed because of the flood, and then everything was hunky-dory? Everyone lived happily ever after. No, I think it actually said that humans still have this inclination in their human hearts towards evil. You're telling me that it didn't work? What's happening here, right? The flood washed the earth. Everything should be good. Well, who didn't get washed? Noah and his family. They're the cause of this. Sin escaped the flood by boarding the ark through Noah and his family. As good as Noah and his family were, sin came right along with them. What? That's a mess of the story, isn't it? I think sometimes we think that if we can just get rid of all the bad people, that, that we could have a really good go at this world, right? 
Noah's Ark is this perfect story for what we'd hoped it would be, right? The good people get on the boat, the bad people, you stay here, we're going to just clean you out, right? But that's not the way it works. Why? <laughs> because we would still be part of it. <laughs> Sorry to tell you. <laughs> Trying to fix our lives or our world without a Savior, it's called sin management right? Sin management. If we can just discipline ourselves to do everything right, to do nothing wrong, and then, you know, try to get everyone else to also cooperate with that and maybe punish them really bad if they don't cooperate, or, or maybe just kill them off if they're not going to go along with our way, right? We just want the good people on the planet. And then we wouldn't even need God, right? We could fix this whole problem, but that is the opposite message of this story, isn't it? The message of this story is that our only hope for salvation is the ark. If we're not on the ark. <laughs> so I think we have to look a little deeper in this story. What, or better, who, is our ark? I don't see many arcs around for us to load onto, right? We can't just hop onto a boat and be safe. So who is our ark? Well, just like you learned in Sunday school, if you don't know the answer to a question, you always say what? Jesus. Just say Jesus. It's the answer to every question, right? It's Jesus, isn't it? Think about this with me. Think about the original ark, and I could go on, go on and on with all of these examples, but think about this, just a few pieces here. God told Noah to put pitch on the inside and outside of the ark to keep the water out, right? To keep it watertight. The Hebrew word for this word pitch, kafar, it's actually used many times in the Old Testament, and, and it has many different meanings. In other places, it means to cover. It means to make atonement for. It means to to make reconciliation for, right? And just like that pitch, Jesus is our cover. Jesus is the one who brings atonement on our behalf. He's reconciling us to back, back to God, right? He's, he's keeping us safe from the storms of life. Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Where's our hope? It's not in sin management. It's in Jesus, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And just like the original ark, you know the original ark only had one door, Right? You had to get in that door if you're going to be okay. And Jesus calls himself the door. In John 10, multiple generation or translations, some say the gate, some say the door. It says, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. I don't know about you, but going out and resting with the Lord and finding pasture with him, it's way better than a life of not having the Lord with me that ends in wickedness and evil. 
John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Got to get in that door, right? Jesus is the one that we trust in. We don't trust in our ability to somehow manage sin. It's all about who we trust in, right? With whom we walk. Do we walk with the Lord? Thomas Merton, this great quote, says, quit keeping score altogether and surrender ourselves with all our sinfulness to God who sees neither the score nor the scorekeeper but only his child redeemed by Christ. Are you trying to manage sin? Or are you surrendering everything to God? You do remember that the ark doesn't have a steering wheel, as is our life with Christ. He's the one that leads. He's the one that directs. And you know what? We can be thankful for that. We should be thankful for that. <laughs> His ways are good. We serve a good God, don't we? He's got great plans for his creation, and it just makes him sick when we don't follow them, when we don't follow him. And unfortunately, like the people in the story today, many of us are living in complete avoidance of God. We don't want anything to do with his ways, his desires. And Jesus talks about this, Matthew 24, verse 37, it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Those are hard words. <laughs> so Jesus does bring us hope and peace as an ark. <laughs> But he also brings a moment of judgment. And honestly, that moment of judgment is really an opportunity to get what you think you want. You get what you think you want. Life with God or life without him. You got to make a choice. Which do you choose, right? That's the question of this story. Which do you choose? Pray with me. But God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it continues to challenge us in so many ways as your spirit guides and directs. And I thank you for this story. This is one of the big ones, isn't it, Lord? Noah and the ark. Lord, what an incredible story of redemption and, and your grace. But I often think, Lord, wouldn't it be easier for you to just make us do what you want? <laughs> to make us enjoy all the things that you have for us as, as your creation. We miss out on so much because we don't want to follow you. And yet, There is a choice. 
You want to give us a choice. You give us a choice <laughs> to either live into your ways or go into our own. And Lord, we see in this story very clearly that your desire is for us to live life to the full, to live life the way you've designed it for us. You have great things for us. You are a great God. So we need some help, Lord. Would you help us to trust in you? Help us to trust that you are good. Help us to trust that when you nudge us into things, that it's okay. You'll help us through it. Lord, help us to trust that we are very good creations of the Most High God. You can use us in incredible ways through your Spirit. Lord, help us to trust in you. Not just today, but tomorrow and the day after that. Help us to make a choice to continue to walk with you. Lord God, we know of people, lots of people, who don't have any desire to be in relationship with you, who don't desire to be a part of your plan. And their life is full of junk. They're missing out on all that you offer. Lord God, as your people, would you help us to live in a way that we can be a, an example, a light to those around us? That they may actually be able to see what life looks like, real life. <laughs> life with God. Life with peace, joy, hope. Lord, help us to be a light to this world. Help us to offer this story to the people that we experience day in and day out. Help us to live for you, Lord. We'll give you all the praise. And it's in Jesus' wonderful name that we pray. Amen. stand with me as we close Romans 8 verse 37 says no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I'm convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, including floods and other things, <laughs> will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. People of God, we are a truly blessed people, aren't we? We're blessed because we serve a good God a God who wants us to find the life that he has designed for us. We can find this God of hope and we can trust in the Lord and his ways. Let's be thankful to the Lord this week. 
thankful for his ways. Let's continue to walk with him day by day, taking moments to leisurely hang out with him and rest with him and talk with him and, and pray to him. Share life with him. And let us also help others find their way to him. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you this week. You are sent.